Well, we're continuing our series in prayer, and if you haven't been with us, the first week we started this series, we went through what the Lord says about prayer, how to pray and when to pray, and now we're going through the acronym ACTS, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. And this week, we've come to the C of ACTS, Confession. And throughout this series, what we're praying is that God might ignite within us, individually and as a church, a greater desire to seek him in prayer. And so that's what we're seeking to do today as we look at Psalm 51, and this is David's powerful prayer of confession. So if you can turn there, or it should be up on the screens, let me read it out for us. David says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my, did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I should be, shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem, then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. You may sit down. Let's come to the Lord now and seek him in prayer as we seek to understand and apply his holy word. Father in heaven, we ask that by the power of your word you would lay bare what is in the depths of our hearts. We ask by the power of your Holy Spirit you would call to our minds the ways that we have transgressed against you. And at the same time, that we would rejoice in the salvation that we have in Christ. Lord, we pray that you would do this in the mighty name and authority of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. Well, this morning, I have some bad news to share. The bad news is that every single one of us has a disease. Now, don't worry, this is not COVID-19. It's actually far worse than that. This disease was inherited from birth, 
and it is fatal. This disease is destructive. It destroys lives. It destroys our closest relationships, and it has lasting negative effects for generations. This disease is deceptive. And because it's so common, many of us don't think it's all that bad. Even though its symptoms are very obvious, many of us forget that we have it. Or if we know we have it, we tend to ignore it or minimize it or cover it up rather than address it. The disease I'm talking about is sin. Sin. It's that natural tendency to disobey God, to rebel against his standard, to defy his will, whether through our purposeful actions or our passive inclinations. Sin is everywhere, and it's within everyone. And the question for us today is, what will we do about it? That's what today's passage in Psalm 51 will address. The author is King David. He wrote this prayer of confession, which became a national song in Israel. You'll remember that David had everything going for him. He was the king of Israel. He was the king of God's chosen people. He was bright. He was handsome. He had incredible gifts. He had all the riches, all the honor, all the popularity that any human being could want. But it wasn't enough. You see, one day when he should have been working, he was instead relaxing on his royal rooftop. And as he looked out, he saw a beautiful woman bathing, and he said to himself, I need to have her. And because he was king, he could have her. So he committed adultery with this woman. And what's more, then he proceeded to have this woman's husband killed. Now, he thought he could kind of get away with this, that nobody would really notice. And for a while, nobody did notice. That is until God sent the prophet Nathan to him. And the prophet Nathan came to David and he said, let me tell you a story, David. There's two men in your kingdom. There's a, there's a rich man and he owns lots and lots of sheep. He's wealthy. He's got all that he could want. And there's a poor man over there. He only has one sheep, one beloved sheep. Now this rich man decided that he wanted the one sheep of the poor man. And he, so he took it and he killed the sheep. David, when he heard this story, was furious. He couldn't believe what this rich man had done. He said that this man should be killed that he should restore fourfold what happened to the poor man. And it's at that moment that the prophet Nathan said, David, you are the man. You are the man. David was cut to the heart, his sin exposed, and out of that great anguish, he prayed this very personal prayer. And through David's prayer, we have a model for our own lives as we seek to deal with sin ourselves. And it leads to the big idea of our text today. If you're taking notes, this is a good time to write down. This is the big idea of our text today. Confessing your sins to God will bring life transformation. Confessing your sins to God will transform your life. And from this text, we can find somewhat of a three-step pattern of confession that we can use as we pray to our Heavenly Father. 
Here's the three steps, and we'll go through them in, in the text. Step number one, be honest about your sin. That's in verses one to six. Be honest about your sin. Step two, plead for transformation. That's in verses seven to 12. And then step three, pray for your witness. Pray for your witness. That's in verses 13 to 19. So the first step, if you want to be transformed, if you want to have a transformed life through confession is to be honest about your sin. Now when it comes to our sin, some of us are in a state of denial. We don't believe it's there, or at least we can't see it. And why is that? It's because sin is deceptive. It blinds us from the truth. You remember, David only got to this place of prayer after God spoke to him through a prophet. So if we want to implement this step of being honest about our sin, we similarly need to go to God. We need to hear from God. And then we're in the presence of the Lord. There are three habits in this text worth emulating in confession. They're these. Admit that you need his help, agree with him about your sin, and affirm what is true about our nature. Admit you need his help, agree with him about your sin, and affirm what is true about our nature. So that first habit, as we seek to be honest before God about our sins, is to admit that we need his help. David rightly understood something that we often forget, and it's that all sin is a crime against God. This crime requires punishment from he who is the lawgiver and the judge. That's why right away in verse 1, David says, Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me, O God. You don't need mercy from someone unless they have the power and the authority and the right to punish you. He says, Have mercy on me, O God. But notice, when David goes to God, notice how his plea for mercy is firmly grounded in what he knows about God's character. He asks God to do this according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. David was a man of God. He was a man after God's own heart. He knew God's character. He knew God's word. Almost certainly, he had in his mind that encounter that Moses had with God on Mount Sinai. When God revealed himself to Moses in Exodus 34, and he said, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. David knew God. He knew God's character. And this is an important principle when we think about confession of sin. It's that our request for forgiveness must be based not on anything within us, but upon who the Lord is and what he has done. Well, it's only after recounting the Lord's character that David proceeds to ask for God's forgiveness, starting at the end of verse 1. He says, blot out my transgressions, wash me from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin." David knew his sin well. He knew his sin so well, he had to describe it in three different words. He called it a transgression, an iniquity. It was wickedness. He called it sin. And he says, blot out, wash, cleanse. 
Here David is asking God to erase his crimes from the heavenly judicial log. Blot him out. He's asking God to make him completely clean and pure because sin has made him filthy and has stained his soul. He is convinced that he needs help. Well, earlier this week, our van, Sarah and I's van that we have, it's this huge monstrous thing. If you're in our parking lot, you'll see it. it the ba- van's ba- battery died. And Sarah called me, and I went to help her. And when I arrived, I'm, as you, if you know me, I'm not really helpful with cars to begin with, so that's a good context. But when I arrived, I realized I really had no way to help because I didn't even have our jumper cables in my car. But fortunately, the van stopped working right next to an auto parts store. So <laughs> if your car breaks down, that's a good place for it to happen. They had everything we needed. They had jumper cables, they had a new battery, they had a person who was able to fix and install everything. But before we could fix the van, I needed to admit that I need help, that I needed someone with abilities and resources that I didn't have. And that's what we need to do, friends, when we come to God, when we sin. We must admit that we cannot fix the problem on our own and that we need his help. We don't need to clean up and come to God. We need to admit our helplessness. So if we're going to be honest about our sin before God, that first habit we need to develop is admitting that we need God's help. The second habit we can learn from David is to agree with God about our sin. That's in verses 3 to 4. Sin is deceptive. It blinds us to what is real and true. That's, what, that's why confession is so important. What is confession? It's agreeing with God about what we have thought, what we have said, and what we have done. When we confess, we're not giving any information to the Lord. Sometimes my son, my three-year-old son, will want to play hide-and-seek, and he always goes to the same place on the couch to play hide-and-seek. And what he does is he puts his head down in the couch, and he thinks that I'm not going to find him or that I can't see him because he can't see me. But he goes to the same place every time. And friends, a lot of times we're the same way with the Lord when it comes to our sin. We're thinking he doesn't know what we've done. We're thinking he doesn't know all of these things. He knows exactly what we've done. John Stott puts it this way in his excellent book, Confess your sins. He says, we do not confess our sins to inform him of what he is ignorant, but rather to acknowledge and bewail what he already knows. David is painfully aware of what he's done against God. He admits that he has sinned. So listen to what he says, starting in verse 3. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. We can't forget that David got to this place only after being confronted by God through the prophet Nathan. It took God's intervention for David to realize his sin. But once he realized it, the Lord uncovered the depths and the depths and the depths of the sin. And today, some of you may be thinking, well, that's good. You know, David, he was kind of like a big sinner. I don't really have that kind of sin to confess, or I can't really think of any sins that I need to confess. Well, if you're in that place today, remember what John said to his Christian audience in 1 John 1.8. He said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, 
and the truth is not in us. In other words, we all still sin, every single one of us. And that means we need to use the means God has given us to uproot and expose that sin so that it can be dealt with in our lives. How do we do that? Well, the book of Hebrews says the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It exposes the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. So if we want to know the sin of our heart, if we want to have our sin exposed, we need to be exposed to the word of God. Yes, on Sunday mornings, but also as we read it and we pray, Lord, how is this passage showing me a sin in thought and deed or just an attitude that I have? So one of the means of grace is reading his word. Another means of grace, if you're a Christian, is that you have the Holy Spirit within you. And so the Holy Spirit searches your heart and mind. He knows what is the will of God. And he, if you are transgressing, if you are sinning against God, he will bring that to your mind. That's what a conscience is for. He tells us when we are sinning. He makes us uncomfortable. Unfortunately, though, if we keep ignoring that voice, we start to not hear it over time. Our hearts become calloused. And that's why another means of grace is there that God has given us, and that's other people, other Christians in our life that are gonna expose sin within our hearts. That's what David did, or uh, sorry, Nathan did for David. The book of Hebrews again says we need to exhort one another every day so that we might not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Because friends, we can't be lulled into thinking sin's not a big deal. It's a really big deal, and the Lord has given us means to deal with this sin. Well, then David says something surprising in verse four. He says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Now you may be thinking, now David doesn't really get it. <laughs> he said he only sinned against God. What about Bathsheba, the woman he committed adultery about? What about Uriah, the one he killed? What about all those soldiers who he had killed so that Uriah, Uriah would be killed? He had a lot of sins. And you would be right, he did have a lot of sins. But David realizes this important point that all sin, every single sin of ours, is ultimately against God. All sin is a personal offense against the one who determines what is right and wrong. The Lord is the lawgiver. The Lord tells us what is right, what is wrong. And so anytime we do what is wrong, we are sinning against him. It's a personal offense. It's a direct affront to God. And because this is true, no one can claim that God's judgment is not fair. David understood this. He said, you, he said your judgment is blameless. It is right. You hear people all the time, well, it's not fair that God would judge me for my sin. Well, why is it not fair? God has set up this world. He is the one who determines right and wrong. He is perfectly just, and the perfect just punishment for sin ultimately is death. And eternal destruction. He always does what is right and fair. And friends, if we do not have this robust view of sin, 
as a direct affront to God, we will normalize it in our lives. We will not treat it with the seriousness that it deserves. It's because we will measure our sin according to its consequences or according to the people that it has affected. So think about it for a moment. If you have this lower view of sin, you won't be bothered when you tell a white lie because you'll think, well, you know, no one's really affected. Actually, it might help some people if I lie in that way. You'll minimize your destructive online habits because it will seem like it's not really hurt anyone if I click onto that site. Don't be deceived, friends. You'll believe that all the negative things you say about others in private with your close friend or spouse aren't really that big of a deal. But friends, David realized this important point. All sin, all sin is a big deal to God. Well, after agreeing with God about our sin, if we want to be honest about it, the third habit we must develop is to affirm what is true about our nature. This is something that our world has missed. Listen to what David says in verse 5. He says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. If you were to ask the average person on the street, they would say, Yeah, we're all born good. We're, we're all good, and then we're kind of corrupted because of our environment, because of this world being broken. And if you hold that view of sin, you're going to be surprised when you sin. You're going to blame others on uh, other circumstances, other people, when you sin. But friends, God wants us to live in reality. The truth about every single one of us, according to this verse, is that we are all sinners by nature. It means our natural tendency to sin started at conception in the womb. It was handed down from our first parents, Adam and Eve, from the fall. Every single human is infected with this sinful nature. What does that mean? It means that those beautiful children that were up here today, or all those children who are back there in our Sunday school classes, they don't need to learn how to sin it's very natural to them. It's very natural to us. According to the prophet Jeremiah, every one of us inherits a heart that is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Doesn't mean we're gonna do all the worst things possible, that we're all equally bad horizontally, but it does mean that our hearts are deceitful and sick and we need a cure we want to be honest about our sin we need to be honest about what is in our heart so David says this in verse 6 behold you delight in truth in the inward being you teach me wisdom in the secret heart in other words God wants us to be honest about what is really going on in our hearts he wants truth to reside in the core of who we are not falsehood not deceit not making excuses well, this being brutally honest about our sin seems terrifying <laughs> if you think about it. Think about like the most shameful thing you've ever done. Being brutally honest about that before God. It seems terrifying. But God wants us to bring those things to him. It would be terrifying, by the way, if it wasn't for the one that we're bringing these sins to. 
He is abounding in steadfast love. He is full of abundant mercy. And he has shown that love, he has shown that mercy most clearly as he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to earth to deal with this problem of sin. Because unlike us, Jesus never sinned. Unlike us, Jesus never had a sinful nature. Unlike us, Jesus never had to confess anything. But instead, he lived a perfect life. And he died a brutal death, taking the punishment that we deserve for our sin, for every little sin we've done. He took that punishment upon himself, and he rose again three days from the grave, that we might have life. That we might have a perfect record. And to receive these benefits, these benefits that God has given to us in Christ, you must be honest about your sin. You must admit you're a sinner and deserve God's punishment. And if you call out to Jesus, asking him to be your Lord and Savior, believing that he is resurrected from the dead, he's the Son of God, <coughs> you will be forgiven. It's guaranteed. You will not face eternal destruction. And so if you do not know Jesus today, don't come away from this message saying, I just need to confess my sins and everything's good. You need to confess your sins, yes, but you need to trust in a Savior who has borne all those sins upon himself, the penalty of those sins upon himself. And we can, if we trust in him, we can have his perfect record. So if you haven't yet done this, let today be the day you trust in Christ. But for most of us, we have trust in Christ, and you may be thinking, well, I thought all of our sins were forgiven at the cross, and you'd be right. I thought we're counted not guilty. You'd be right. I thought we have the perfect righteousness of Christ. Yes, you are right. So then you may be asking, why do I still need to confess my sins on a regular basis? And that's a valid question. The first reason, I, I would give you three quick reasons. The first is one of obedience. It's because Jesus commands it. He's your Lord and Savior. He says to pray in that way in the Lord's Prayer. He's assuming this is a regular, ongoing thing in your life, that you are confessing your sins. He's commanded it. A second reason is put well by uh, Pastor Kevin DeYoung. He says it's because Jesus wants us to relate to God, not just as a judge, but as a father. You see, a judge makes a legal declaration. When you first believe God is the judge of all people, he declares you not guilty. We call that justification, and he gives you the positive righteousness of Christ. That legal declaration is important. It means that we have been forgiven once and for all, but when, while God is our judge, he is also our Father, our Heavenly Father. And when we sin, it distorts our relationship with him. He is grieved, and there is distance in that relationship. A third reason that we need to confess our sins as Christians is because sin is toxic and it's fatal to our bodies and our souls. It's bad for us. It brings us harm in countless ways. You know that to be true if you have festered unconfessed sin in your heart. So if we want to be spiritually healthy, if we want to thrive as followers of Jesus Christ, we must regularly confess our sins, even as Christians. This ongoing confession is a key part of what it means to walk in the light and to abide in Christ. So by way of application, if 
This is not part of your life. If this is new teaching for you, if you think, well, I was forgiven once and for all, I don't need to confess my sins ongoingly, I would encourage you this week, build this into your life. Build this into the time when you pray. When you sin, confess it. Maybe some believers throughout the centuries have found it helpful to, at the end of the day, review your day and just think about where have I transgressed and ask the Lord to bring those things to mind. The exact way you, don't, you do it isn't what matters. It's that you do do it. Well, when we're honest about our sin, confessing it to God, it will lead to life transformation. And that brings us to the second step in confession as we continue in David's prayer here. And that step is to plead for this transformation. Plead for transformation. Because when we confess our sins, the goal is not just removal of guilt. It's an important part of confession. We do want our guilt to be removed. We want to be clean before God. But another goal is that we might renounce those sins, to turn from them, to repent. The goal is transformation. Again, I want to quote from John Stott from his book, Confess Your Sins. He says, the reason why we are to uncover our sins is not only that God may forgive them, but that we may forsake them. Not just that God may forgive them, but we may forsake them. And so in this next section in verses 7 to 12, David pleads for the transformation that comes from God's forgiveness. And for the sake of time, we can't go into each very uh, in-depth, but I just want to go through the various elements of transformation that we can be asking God for on a regular basis. First, we can be pleading for purity. Look at verse 7. David says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. That doesn't really ring a bell for us. Hyssop is not something we know much about. But this was a plant that was used in the Old Testament that used to be dipped in blood. And you'll remember in the Exodus, they would dip the hyssop plant in blood and they covered the door frames. They would dip a hyssop plant in blood and they would sprinkle it on the lepers to make them clean. So when we pray in this way, we're praying for God to cleanse our soul. Cleanse our soul, again, with the blood through the hyssop, just like the hymn says, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So we can plead for purity. We can plead for joy. Verse 8, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. We all know this feeling. When we're burdened by the guilt of our sin, we, we experience the, the, the pain. He calls it bones you have uh, that. <laughs> that have been broken. That's what David often refers to when he's in sin. There's this, there's this physiological pain that he's under. But when we, that, that burden is lifted, we experience joy because life returns to us. So we can plead for that joy. We can plead for freedom. He says in verse 9, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. This is asking God to wipe away and to forgive and forget our sins. When we have a sense of this happening, it results in great freedom on how we live. This is living in light of the gospel, friends. When we live knowing that we have been forgiven once for all and that we are current with the Lord, it gives us great freedom to live in his presence. Then we can plead for a fresh start. Look at verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. 
David here is asking for a miracle. He's asking for a new heart. When we've drifted far from God, you may be in this place right now. You have drifted so far from God, you need a new heart. You need a reset. You need uh, to come back. You need a clean, fresh start, a new heart, a clean heart. We can be praying for that. We can pray and plead for closeness with the Lord. David puts it in the negative in verse 11. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. So David's request here is really one for intimacy with the Lord. We're not going to get into the role of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament in depth, but David here surely remembers what happened to King Saul. Because remember, the Holy Spirit would come upon the kings for empowerment, and he saw how the Spirit of God had left Saul. And he's praying, don't let that happen to me. He wants the presence of the Lord. And for believers today, the New Testament affirms we can never lose the Holy Spirit. We have no danger of losing the Holy Spirit. But as we talked about earlier, sin does create this relational distance between us and God, which is why when we've confessed our sins, we should pray for that increased intimacy with the Lord, that he would not leave us, that we'd have a sense of his presence with us. We can plead for spiritual vibrancy. In verse 12, he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. When you've been living with unconfessed sin, it will lead to spiritual apathy. It will make you lethargic for the things of God, for reading the Bible, for prayer, for witnessing, for fellowship, and the rest. And God uses our confession, our repentance, our remembering that he's forgiven us to help jumpstart our walk with Jesus. So by way of application, if today you are feeling dry in your relationship with the Lord, if you are feeling far from him, if you are lacking joy and desire, if you are spiritually apathetic, if it's really a grind, consider how often you are bringing your sins before the Lord. Consider how often you are seeking to turn from them and pleading for transformation before the Lord. Because the transformation that comes from God's forgiveness is deep and it is wide. Well, now in this third section, when we're walking in the light, confessing our sins to God, benefiting from the transformation that comes from God's forgiveness, it will naturally lead to sharing this transformation with others. That's the third step in the process of confession that we see here in David's prayer, which is to pray for your witness. So in this final section, we observe that when we're living these transformed, forgiven lives, when we're walking in the light, when we're abiding in Christ, when we're confessing our sins on a regular basis in the power of the Spirit, we should be praying that it will lead to effective witness. Effective witness in a few different ways. First, we can pray for the witness of personal evangelism. Listen to how David puts it in verse 13. When this happens, when you do this, Lord, he says, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. David understands that when he's been forgiven, he has a story to tell. When he senses the, that God has uh, blotted out all of his sins, his testimony is one to share. And so he's saying, I, I, I will do this as you forgive me. We can pray for the witness of personal evangelism. We can pray for the witness of worship. 
So he says, delivered me from blood guiltiness, O God, God of my salvation. My tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. See, when we remember the forgiveness that is ours in Christ, we will want to sing. We will want to declare that with our lips. And that's why we sing every week here at Hope Fellowship. We are affirming what God has done for us, that we are forgiven sinners, that he is a holy God, and that is a witness to others. Then we can pray for the witness of our brokenness, because if we're living authentic lives, broken before God, it pleases him and is a witness to others. Listen to this verse 16. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I will give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Friends, we can't forget that God only accepts broken people. He only accepts broken people into his kingdom, people who know their place, people who are dependent. Remember the story that Jesus told in Luke 18 about this. He told a story about a religious leader, a Pharisee, and a tax collector who was despised at that time. The Pharisee, this religious leader, thought he was better off than everyone else around him. And he started to recount his accomplishments, his religious deeds before God, of all things. He's basically saying to God, look how great I am. But then the tax collector, he would have not even look up to God. He knew his sin. He knew his place. And he beat his breast and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said it was the tax collector that went down to his house justified, not the Pharisee. We need to remember that the Lord loves sinners who know they need a Savior. He came to die for sinners. So don't pretend you aren't one. There's not a point in your life when you are not going to be one who sins. Don't try to cover up the fact that you sin. God loves a heart that says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And when we live in that way, friends, it is a great witness to others. One of the biggest critiques of church is you all think you're perfect. You all are a bunch of hypocrites. But if you're living in this way, with a broken heart, a crushed spirit, realizing that everything you have is because of Jesus, that is attractive. That is a witness. And then finally, we can pray for the witness of God's people in verse 18. It's a little confusing verse here, and I'll do my best to explain it. David's not just concerned about his personal relationship with God as king. He wants the people of God to flourish, who at that time were represented by Zion. It's also called Jerusalem. That was the capital city of God's people. That's why he says this in verse 18. He says, do good to Zion, talking to God, in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burn offerings and whole burn offerings. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. So what's going on here? Well, Christian, today, when you walk in the light, in confession and forgiveness, God is using you to build up his people. Not, not a physical place like Zion or Jerusalem, but the body of Christ. So friends, the church is full of redeemed sinners. And it's a great witness for people, when, for Christ, when people in his church here at Hope and around the world are 
humbly walking with him for the, with the strength that he provides. So we're, we're pleading for God to build up his people. And at the same time, we're, we're seeking to be built up ourselves as we're uh, confessing our sin and walking in the light. So as we go through these steps of confession, we're praying for God uh, that we might be, to God, that we might be a witness. Well, when I began this message by saying that we all carry this disease called sin. But friends, God has given us the cure for this disease in the person of Jesus Christ. And when we trust in him, sin is no longer our master. We are no longer under the dominion of sin. We no longer have to sin. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And he has given us all the resources that we need to live in that victory. So don't ever say, I have to sin. Yes, you have a sin nature, but you no longer have to sin. But when you do sin, and you will, and I will, Jesus offers the way back to the Father when we've strayed. He offers that we would run into his Father's arms. They're open wide, like the prodigal son returning, ready to embrace us when we confess our sins. And so the question for you today is will you run to him? Will you confess your sins today? Will you restore your relationship? He will restore the joy of your salvation as you do, and you will be transformed. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you are holy, you are righteous, your judgments are just, and the just judgment for our sin is that we would die, that we would be punished. And yet, Lord, you are also love and full of mercy and grace. And through Jesus Christ, you have shown us that your arms are open wide to us, that you are willing to forgive. You have done everything to make forgiveness possible. So, Lord, I do pray that if there are some here today who have been wandering, who have turned their back on you, who have purposely disobeyed you, that they would turn back today. If there are others who are your children but are definitely walking in darkness and deceiving themselves, I pray that by the power of your Spirit, even now, you would break and crush their spirit so that they might run to you and say, have mercy on me, O God a sinner. Lord, we rejoice that we have freedom in the presence of Christ, that our sins have been canceled, and that we are yours. So we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.